Welcome to the Ian Corzine Show. I'm Ian Corzine, your social media lawyer. I've been advising top social media creators for about 12 years. Now it's your turn. Whether you're an upcoming social media influencer or a content creator bringing in the millions, you gotta understand how to grow your audience the right way and not risk fines or worse, jail time. That's where I come in on the Ian Corzine Show. My guests and I break down what you need to succeed for becoming a top influencer. If you're ready to grow on social media the right way, I'm here to help you. This is a Soul Fire production. Welcome to the Ian Corzine Show. I'm Ian Corzine, your social media lawyer. Today we have a special guest, Nate Brody of Nate the Lawyer. We're going to be talking about the future of law enforcement in this age of social media. Nate, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. How are you doing, Ian? I'm super excited to be here today. Uh, well, I'm so glad you could make it. We uh, tried to do it earlier in the week, but I had to cancel for another thing. So I'm glad we're able to make it happen. Nate, um, I've spent uh, the last, oh God, I want to say nine months or so watching your show, watching you grow on social media. You started out like with 800 subscribers and you're <laughs> broadcasting out there to whoever would listen. And now you're in the neighborhood of 50,000 subscribers on YouTube. You have a huge audience. And then the most important thing is you have huge engagement. Everyone who's a part of the Nate Club watches your, your videos. How does that feel? It feels amazing, but it, it's kind of like a double-edged sword because yeah. you want to um, be able to service these people, the content that they've come for. But then at the it's it still, since I'm still new to the whole phenomenon, it, yeah. it makes you, it, sometimes it makes you feel you're not worthy, but you know, hopefully I can continue doing what I'm doing and it'll just continue to be right. You know? Yeah. Well, I would say this heartfeltly, uh, you are definitely worthy. You have so much knowledge. We're going to get into that. Uh, you have so much life experience, which really adds to the content and gives some color to some of the news stories and some of the issues that, uh, you know, you, you focus on. Speaking of the experience, let's start way back when. How did you get involved in becoming a lawyer? What did you want to achieve as a lawyer? When I, I was in law enforcement for about 10 years and just moving up the ranks, um, you know, first I, be, uh, first I was just an officer, then I became like a, a mid-level supervisor. And I, I was given the, the I, I was like the arrest guy. So like if there was an arrest, I would be the one to either train the officer on how to do it and all that stuff. So I, okay. I was that. And then I, I moved up the ranks in when, when I was in law enforcement. And I remember one of my bosses, he was just like, you know, hey, you know, w- you know you're in your 20s. Um, what would you like to do with your life? And I was just like, you know, you know, I really would would was would love to be a lawyer because I've always loved the the second part of being in law enforcement, which was the legal process. You know, how how do, how how do you prove someone is actually guilty? That side of it. So I, you know, I, I um my boss said, and I and I actually also told my boss too. I would love to also become a defense attorney after you know after understanding what the how the law treats defendants, then I can become a, a really good defense attorney and be able to defend people, understanding it from the inside. So he said, hey, that, that sounds like a great plan. Um, why, don't, why, don't, why, why, isn't, why aren't you going to law school? And that kind of set my journey on the path to becoming a, a lawyer. Wow. And you are from the New York area, right? Yes, yes, yes. And did you serve in New York City itself or were you in a, a different town? No, no I, was in, I, I was in New York City. There's, New York City has a whole bunch of different um, like um, sub agencies. So for instance, you have the New York city police department just for the whole city. Then if you are a city agency, you, you have your own police force. So like you'll have a hospital police force, a campus police force, a parks police force and so forth and so forth. And, and they're just, their jurisdictions are based on that. 
Now, so for instance, like, like we were campus. So we had, so our jurisdiction um, was just, you know, we had something like uh, what 30 or 40,000 people every day that came on to, to, to our, to the campus and to our jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. And when we used to, it's interesting because we used to go to, it's, it's just, I think, a phenomenon in New York. When, you, when we used to go to conferences with other law enforcement agencies, yeah. one of the more interesting things is that um, the action that we would get would be paramount to like, like, I don't, like a lot of times we'd see an officer who would have maybe like, you know, five arrests for that for six months or a year. But we'll yeah. have some like 10. But we, and, and you know, they would be in a town of maybe 2,000 people. We're, you know, we're in a campus of like 37,000 people. So it's just, it's interesting to just see the dynamics in law enforcement just in general across the country. But, but, um, but for me, mm-hmm. I was, I was, I was in, I was, we were campus police. And then I, um, became an academy instructor part-time. So then I started training. So I was, so I was on, I was on the training in too, where we trained camp, um, we trained campus police, we trained hospital police, we trained a lot of, all of the other sub police agencies here in the city. So it was, so, you know, so it, a lot of that experience too comes from that because I was able to do that. Yeah. Now when you were in, in the campus police, uh, did you see some situation, mean, what was the common situation that you would be involved in as far as an arrest? Well, it was it was interesting because the campus that I was in was yes. like intermingled into the the streets of New York City. Mm-hmm. So people so so you can just walk through the, if you're walking through the streets of the campus, you, you know, you're walking through the streets of New York. It, there was no difference. So a lot of our arrests were the same thing like the NYPD's arrests because we we were seeing the same type of traffic, you know, drug arrests, you know, domestic violence. It's this the, um obviously the same thing like I've been involved in active an active shooter where somebody came to the school to try to kill everyone. So, you know, an active shooter event, you know, I, I've been involved in building takeovers, but you, you, you get that. Um, so th- a lot of, um, I've been involved in a robbery. Like I, one of my arrests would happen to be an armed robbery. Wow. Um, what you do, you, you get a lot of that street crime. And I think a lot of the poverty crime because, you know, you're out there on the streets in a, in a poverty, in a poverty community. So you, yeah. you get to see that a lot. You know, we had a lot of um, robberies and strong robberies and things of that nature, because obviously you're in a poor neighborhood, so you're going to see that type of thing more often. Yeah, yeah. Were there ever any situations that where you were contemplating use of force and and whether or not that was excessive or not? Did you ever get in those situations? Were you in a fight or something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've been, I've been in, it's been a couple. Um, uh, some, most of the time when you really get to the physical confrontations, really during protests. Um, so once in a while, you'll get like an active combatant on an arrest, but those are usually rare. Um, I've really never, never, I've had some people do things that could be considered resisting arrest, but yeah. really at that point in time, it, you know, it just really wasn't a problem. And it's, it's more of a headache and not in charging a person with, with a resisting arrest and going through yeah. all that stuff where, you know, hey, listen, this, you know, let's just keep it simple. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, and, and, I'm actually I'm certified in training in aspiton, handcuffing, and I should train officers in use of force. So, wow. you know, I, I have a little my, my experience is a little bit more well-rounded than off, than, a, than a regular officer because I was able to I had that experience. Because you've had that experience, are there times I, I've always been fascinated by police officers because a lot of times they really focus on helping. They want to give to their community. They want to give back, and I always want to know where it becomes. Anger personally in a in a force situation versus them having this kind of more neutral perspective where they're like, listen, my job here, this person is going through a hard time. Uh, I'm I'm not going to get angry at this situation versus 
situations where the anger comes out. Did, were you ever in that weird conundrum where you're like, this guy is trying to hurt me and I want to hurt him back? There's one thing that that, well, two things. One, I think when you're a new officer, a lot mm-hmm. of people have never been in actual violent scenarios. No, there, there are a lot of people who, who go to the police force who've never been in a fight, right? Who've never yes. been punched in the face. So, the, so, so you don't know how to react until uh, Mike Tyson says it best, right? Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Absolutely. That's, and that's sometimes what happens with people who join um, any police force or, or any law enforcement agency, because it is by nature the force of the state, right? You know, you are you expected yes. to sometimes use physical force. Um, but the training that we go through as law enforcement officers really, really, really focus in on that responsibility uh, because having the authority behind the state behind you to use force mm-hmm. is not only a blessing, but it's also a curse because with that force and with that authority, there are standards that you have to meet to be able to. That's why every year people have to qualify with their firearm. That's why every year you got to qualify for use of force tactics. You know, this is ingrained into you. So yes. that training, it's supposed to allow it to allow you to judge an officer's actions based on that training, based on where you trained to do this. You know, you're trained to stop at a certain point. And if that training and if the trainers have done their job well, then an officer won't do that, right? It's just like any job. But it, but unfortunately, there are some bad eggs. So yeah. were, there, were there times where I've gotten personally upset at someone who who I'm trying to arrest and may have slapped me or something by accident? Yes. It's more than likely to, to have happened. But at that point in time, as an individual, and I think each officer has to take responsibility that you can't go too far because it's a very thin, It's a I always say it's a very thin line between being between that person being in handcuffs and you being in handcuffs for doing something you're not supposed to do. So yeah. that's what every officer has to kind of consider every day when they're out there, you know, making sure that they don't cross that line, even though it's, it's sad because that line is so frail and so thin, but yeah. it's there. It is there. Yeah. I used to be a federal prosecutor, I was a special assistant U.S. attorney, and I remember feeling the power of politics, brotherhood, sisterhood, uh, the, the motivation to convict um, there were times where my morals were compromised in the sense of, we just got to convict. All right. What mm-hmm. did you, you know, uh, I remember one time I was prosecuting a drunk driving situation and the officer, um, came up to me and said, Hey, so what do you want me to see? And I just was like, okay, this, we're not doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, did you face those situations where there was pressure, whether it be a brotherhood or, or, or a peoplehood, a family, uh, or maybe a, a political pressure in when you were in law enforcement? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, when I was at the DA's office, there was there's been a couple of cases when I was at, when I was a, an ADA, yeah. but um, in, when in law enforcement, when, when I became a super, when I became a supervisor, um, actually no, it was right before I became a supervisor. There was one time where there was a an arrest. Um, it was in a robbery of two um, two immigrants, two 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 uh, undocumented immigrants, and. The description was black man, you know, black youths, you know, this, 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 um, you know, and they were going, I believe, northbound. Um, and so I just happened to be in the area. So I, so I see these two guys walking down the street. So I stopped them, you know, and, you know, do the whole thing. So I've, I've got these two guys who are in the area who fit this description, you know, black yeah. guys. One guy didn't have a shirt on. This guy didn't have a shirt on. So it all, it, it all looked good. But when the, but so when they had the, the victims come over, then it was kind of like, well, hold on. You know, they, they weren't sure. Then it was, this weren't sure. Then we found out that these kids had actually come from this pool park. And I remember telling my boss, well, okay, these aren't the kids. And my boss, because they had had an uptick in robberies in that area, 
Yeah. This was an arrest. This was a, this was an arrest. This was a number to show that, you know, we were doing something. Our officers, they're out here doing something. Now, they, they've made an arrest. We've had a couple of robberies. <laughs> I got keep it out here to make arrests. This is an arrest. So <clears throat> it was one of those things where it's, it's 50-50. It wasn't, it wasn't like we could say no, you could say yes. It was, it was we, had, we, were legal, we, we had enough legally mm-hmm. to make the arrest. But, but I think morally, we didn't have enough. You know, and, and, and people have to understand the, you know, legally and morally are two different things. And I, and I think that's the thing that, that it came down to. And in that case, my boss, I think he made the legal decision. He said, you know, we have enough to make an arrest. You make the arrest. And then the next day he's able to tell his boss, hey, look, you know, the, my, my plan is working. We, we, we fought <laughs> these two guys when those weren't, weren't actually the guys. Um, same thing with the DA's office, right? You know, it, it gets yeah. some, sometimes I've had situations where I'm like, this guy obviously isn't there. And they're like, well, you know, see if he takes the deal. And it's like, well, I don't know if we should give him a deal. You know, why don't we just drop this case? You know, that type of thing. So, I, you know, I've, I've seen it all the way through. And yeah. it, I, I always feel that politics, it's, you know, these DA's offices, they're political yeah. jobs, right? Yeah, if, yeah. If, you, if, if you don't want them to be political jobs, we can do, we can do that. But we, we want some, some type of control over the, who, who runs these things and how long they do them for. So that's True. why we, that, that's why we allow this to be controlled by political animals. But, um, but yes, politics is definitely involved in it. But but again, I've seen that happen for the worst, and I've seen that happen for also good in in good ways too. So yeah, yeah, it's difficult. I I don't know. We're gonna get in a little bit talk more about the future of of law enforcement in the age of social media. But I I want to say that it's it seems like it's difficult, at least in America, to extract that political or that you know that brotherhood that exists in law enforcement and certainly in in prosecutorial offices just because of, I, I remember being in it and, and feeling like it's us against them. You know what I mean? It's yeah. the good guys against the bad guys. And, and there are some difficult times. I mean, uh, there are times when you, your life feels threatened or, or, or you are, are worried about prosecuting this particular, you know, potential criminal uh, because of what he or she could do to you. So I, it seems to me like it's going to be very hard to extract that political part out of our law enforcement in the future, unless like you've said, we don't want to control who is prosecuting our, our criminals. So it's a, it's a difficult one. Well, let's move on. So law enforcement, uh, campus, uh, you know, law enforcement, and then you moved, did you go to law school during your time in law enforcement or did you? Well, <clears throat> the, the the good part about it is that because um, it, it, the one thing I do like about like um about being in law enforcement is that what they did it was like a big transfer because at first um first we all started out or first the department started out as a security function and back like in the nineties then they got the then for people for the people who don't know there's a difference between there's there's different levels or different variations of law enforcement there's peace mm-hmm. officers there's police officers but they're all actually peace officers and peace officer means the, some state statute gives you authority of law enforcement so for instance in New York State if you work for the state directly you'll be a police officer so for instance if you're if you're a police officer for the New York state campuses, then you consider a police officer because you work directly for the state. And yeah. if you work for, and, but I worked for the city version of that, which was the same, which is the same thing, but we were known as peace officers, even though we, we did the, you know, essentially the same job and actually had most, had most of the same training. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that, that's usually the, the difference between 
the NY, the, the state police and state systems versus the, the city systems. And you'll see most of the agencies, too, in the city use the term police, like hospital police, you know, so forth, so forth, as long as you work directly for the jurisdiction. Yes. Um, what was your question again? I'm sorry, I was just... Uh, no, that's all right. So um, just basically, did you go to law school while you were in law enforcement or did you, yes. go, you leave or how to work? I remember. You know, exactly. That's exactly. So I have, I have moved up to essentially what was our level of first grade detective. So mm-hmm. that, that was a pretty, cause I was doing the crime stats cause there's certain crime stats you have to report to the, um, to the state, uh, yeah. not only to the state, but also to the federal government. Um, so I was the crime stats guy at the time. And because I was in law enforcement, I was able to get, there, there were, there was um, this, I'm, I'm going to call it a credit for lack of a better name, but there was, there was a way in which if I went to law school while in my first year of being, being in law enforcement, that year would be taken care of totally for free. So I didn't, I wouldn't have to pay for that first year of law school. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So that first semester, I didn't have to pay anything. Then I got a scholarship on top of that. Um, but because of the rules of the law school, the law school only had full-time students. So I had to actually resign from law enforcement to go to law school to take advantage of the whole, of the whole you know, go for free issue. So yeah. it was either go, I, I could have gone part-time and paid or I could go full-time for free. And going full-time for free meant that I couldn't work 40 hours a week. Because for those of you who don't know, the, in law school, there's a rule that says you could only work, I think it's like 10 hours a week if you're going full-time in law school. Yeah. So, so that's, so then I had, so I had to resign my commission when I, when I joined, um, when I, when I went to law school full-time, but it was worth it because obviously, you know, going for free, it, it, that's 300, it's a $300,000 education that yeah. you're getting for free, you know? Yes, absolutely. Now, when you were in law school, there's different tracks you can go. I mean, mm-hmm. in my, my case, you could go transactional or what I did is I did the trial advocacy type track as I wanted mm-hmm. to become a prosecutor and move on that way. What about you? What did you choose? What were you, what were you, uh, what were your electives in law school? Well, I, I, I knew I was going straight to the DA's office. Like I, I, I planned up, my, my plan was to be an ADA out of law school. So all of my internships were at DA's offices. Like I, I just was strictly, I did trial, trial advocacy, criminal procedure, all, all, everything was going to the DA's office. So, um, and, and I had all this experience too in that field, oh. you know, I, I made arrests, you know, it was funny because when we talk about making arrests and giving Miranda rights and stuff like that, I was like, you know, this is what I did. You know, when they talk about use of force, I trained people on use of force. So, yeah. so it's just a natural, you know, fit for me, you know, just to move from that, that end and then just see it from the other side, because that's what, what, what I don't know if you guys had crim pro and crim two, criminal procedure one, criminal procedure two, criminal procedure one was about, you know, pre-arrest and then criminal procedure two was about post-arrest. The, all the pre-arrest stuff was, was just, was nice. And then the post-arrest stuff was just what was behind the current when, you know, yeah. when I, when, when it ended for me. So, so that's why it, it just, it just really, that piece of it, the um, going with my track was strictly the trial advocacy. I was going to the DA's office. Nice. And then did you go straight from law school to the uh, district attorney's office? Yes. Yes. I was in, um, I, I was, when, when I was in law school, they had a program called the pro bono scholar program. Mm-hmm. So if you were in the top, in the upper echelons of the class, there was a program that was available to you. Um, you had to have over, I think it was over a three, three GPA or something like that. Mm-hmm. And if you had a night, if you had a high GPA, you could actually take the bar exam while you were in law school. Wow. So if you qualified for the program, um, your last semester of law school, you can take, you can take, you can go into the pro bono scholar program. And what that did was allow you to take the February bar exam 
yeah. um, in your last semester of law school. And then you actually practice um, and, you know, practicing for like one of the legal aid societies or something like that during your last semester, taking indigent clients on. And that was a way of filling up. New York State wanted to fill this gap because, you know, there are a lot of people out there who need legal representation, but just can't afford to have it. So the way you can, so the way that they can get, you know, even though these people weren't experienced, but the way you can get a lot of people just get this type of experience a uh, trade-off would be, okay, this person has to at least give us six months of service if mm-hmm. they, you know, if they pass the bar exam in February. So mm-hmm. I did that. So what, so the great part about it is that when I graduated law school, I was already, you know, I already, I already had passed the bar. Um, yeah. And so, so, and then I just walked right into the DA's office because I got hired from the DA's office like a year before I oh, graduated good. law school. Yeah. Awesome. Now in the DA's office, what did you focus on? What kind of crimes did you work on? Um, I was, we, I was in a, Bill called criminal enterprise. Mm-hmm. So it was, I did prostitution, um, ticket scalping. And my last case, my biggest case was a human trafficking case, which I, wow. which I wasn't able to, to finish off. And um, what else? And just, just some other things like um, there were, there were actually some scams mm-hmm. um, that I did. And just a couple of, um, we also did, um, did alcohol beverage control, you know, people selling, you know, illegal alcohol and things of that nature. But that's it because, you know, I was, but I was only there for about a year. And okay. then I got the, then I got the offer to uh, teach at the law school. So then I, I, I took that and I was it. I was gone. Wow. And, and then you, how long did you teach the law school? I taught the law school for two years. Um, okay. From the DA's office to law school, um, to back to the law school. Yeah. Um, and that was, that was just because obviously I was a, I was a really good student. Um, but it was it was interesting because um, I think people don't realize how how much lawyers actually get paid to do what they do. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Uh, people think that when you get that law degree, you're making two one hundred seventy thousand oh. dollars. You know, living a life. You know, got got much Maserati yeah. in the back. Maybe, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. But just let everybody know that's not true, right? The average salary for lawyers, just so everyone knows, even though there's like this buy, there's this, this two bumps in the, in the chart. There's like one about 70000 and one at like 190000 or whatever. Yeah. But the average salary for somebody coming out of law school, if you just take everybody together, is about, what, fifty five to $60,000, right? Yeah. That, that's a lot less. And the average salary for just regular Americans is around fifty. True, true. So, if, so with the law degree, you're talking about making five to $10,000 more than everybody else, which is not bad. You know, I'm not complaining. I don't think we're complaining, no. but it's not the millionaire lawyers that you see on TV. Yes. Um, so going into the DA's office, it was, it was one of those jobs that paid, I think about $60,000, which is not bad, which is not no, bad at all. It's not bad at all. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coming, coming out. And when yeah. I was in law enforcement, I was making more than that. <laughs> you know, I was, I was actually making more than when I was making the DA's office. Yeah. Now, mind you, in law enforcement, when I was in law enforcement, I was, you know, you get overtime, you know, I'm making, you know, get overtime, you get all this, you get all that great stuff. When you're at ADA, you don't get all that stuff. So when I got the offer for the law school, that almost doubled my salary, right? So it was just like, you know, do you stay making, you know, half and don't forget the the law school. It was, it was half, it was twice the pay and I had to be there half the time. So (laughs) it was a no brainer for me. No brainer, yeah, totally. It was a no brainer for me. And I think also, gosh, you appear to me from our interactions in the past to be a professor at heart. I mean, you just love to learn, you love to research, and you love to help people understand the law, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, I always thought it was fun because I always, I think the law of as a puzzle. 
Yeah. And, you know, it's just here's here are the certain rules you got to stay within. And then certain there's certain one, there's certain of these rules that you have to convince the other side that your position on it is better than their position. And, and then that's just where it goes. You know, you're really talking yeah. to a lot of people think that lawyers argue with each other. We mm-hmm. really don't, right? No. We, we're, we're arguing with the judge or with yeah. that with that person who's going to decide the issue, right? My performance isn't for the other lawyer. It's for yes. it's for the jury. It's for the judge. Yes. Yeah, one of the th- the biggest gifts, or one of the biggest gifts I got going through law school and then being a lawyer, um, was I think the gift of not taking arguments personally and being forced continually to take the side of our client, of my client. It helps in day-to-day life because I think a lot of times people focus on what they believe in a kind of a black and white fashion. And my first inclination when I hear an argument is to question it, is to try to figure out the other side, uh, not be emotionally invested. And sometimes it just helps me be a happier person. You know what I mean? Yes, yes. Well, yeah. you know what? I, I, I figured one thing. Attack the argument, not the person, because I think a lot, a lot of times people do that. They attack the person, not the argument. Yeah. And the second thing I, I, I figured, um, it, when people talk about thinking like a lawyer, I think, yeah. I think, I think it's not as valued. And I think that's, that's what you're describing. You're describing thinking as a lawyer. Someone's making an argument, evaluating that argument, you know, understanding the, trying to understand the other position and then trying to poke holes in it. You know, this is the reason why I don't agree with you or this is the reason why I do agree with you. Yeah. And I think when you do think like a lawyer, it allows you to v- evaluate things differently yeah. because instead, instead of just evaluating it from that one perspective, you, can, you kind of had that, that natural inclination to empathize with the other side. Okay, I see where you're coming from. And it helps you get to a point, too, of, of, of better compromise, you know, when you can also see the pressure points on both sides. And you're taught right up in the beginning about that. I mean, I've been in so many situations where I was a second chair and there was fierce argument in court, in the courtroom between lawyers. And then later on in time, uh, we were having lunch, you know, and and it was quite an education because you kind of are, you're, you're grown up to, you have your strong ego and this is the right position (laughs) and the client tells you this. And then you see your lawyer, the the person you look up to being friendly, joking around. Oh, did you see that one thing that I said? And it makes you kind of go, Oh, wow. We we don't have to take this personally. And while there is justice that we need to to argue for at the same time, we don't have to get upset (laughs) and and be paralyzed. You know what I mean? I'm not sure how how it was for you guys, but we used to have these calls in which, like, for first for, for arraignments. Yeah. So they send you to what we call it, it was the AP poll, the all-purpose part. So you'd have, you know, we'd have maybe like 100 cases in a box. And these cases would be from all over the borough. And yeah. other, and, and for people who don't know, the district attorneys, they all send their cases down to court one day. And, and sometimes, you know, there'll be like status updates and everything for cases. So they'll have two of us, and we'll have 100 cases there. And then you'd have to read off the notes from the case to the judge and make the deals on the side, you know, Hey, this guy's offering this, you know, what about this? And then you have to you know, negotiate the deals. It's, it's totally not what anyone who is not in that world would expect that happens with the ADA's office that, you know, there's always, there's, there's just like this, I hate to say this, like um, this manufacturer's line of cases that you're just going through like this. Um, that, that's how justice unfortunately is done. Yeah. But the, the actual, the actual experience, of being a lawyer yeah. is so different than the actual, the, the, the perceived perception 
yeah. of what a lawyer is. You know what sure. I'm saying? It, it, and I think until people realize, you know, what lawyers actually do and why they actually get paid, then you'll always have this difference of, you know, ah, oh, this is this, you know, this type of law versus this type of law. But the perception people have, like, I, I remember going and studying because I've been to a, I've been to arraignments, I've seen them, but I never saw behind the desk. And yes. I still remember when I first got there, and, they, they, and the woman was like, um, at the, not the woman, my my colleague who happened to be a woman, um, who was who was training me that day. She said to me, she was like, um, she's always, she's like, yeah, yeah, you know, you'll run through the first 50 cases. And I was like, that's today? She was like, yeah, hopefully that's before lunch. And I'm like, we're going to, we're literally going to run through 50 cases. That's not something you see on Law and Order, but yeah. that's actually what happened. So it is. And, and, and also there are, there are times, at least in my experience, where, you know, files are handed off right before, you know, one thirty you're on, here's the file, you know, and you, you just have to kind of swim like a fish in those situations. Um, so you did the ADA thing, you did the law school thing. How did you get involved in doing a lot of live streaming and making videos on YouTube? Um, well, I was always part of the uh, philosophical community on, on YouTube. And, um, you know, so, so we always would, you know, just, just talk about bigger questions and those type of things. Um, I, I just, one day, um, I actually, well, let me go back. So when I was at the law school, I actually started putting my lectures online and I was just figured out, I, cause I was, I, re, I always remember when I was a law student, if you were sitting in the classroom and I would always think to myself, well, what the hell did the professor say? You know, and or how did they say it? You know, it wasn't it wasn't so much what they say, but how did they say? It? What was the context of it? And a lot of times, it was just like if I couldn't map it. That's because that's where you take notes in class. You're like sitting there trying to write everything down, and I'm trying to map everything down. The professor gives us, yeah. and I was like, well, you know what? That's what they did in the 1910s, right? In the 1920s, right? Yeah. You had to be the live tape recorder and write everything down. There was nobody. Yeah. There was no way to, to record this, right? So we could see it later. So I said, well, you know what? I'm going to change the way I, I do it. Um, and, you know, thank God the school gave me the ability to do this because I'm going off script now. Um, you know, the, the school, they, they have a, a, a way of you, do, you doing things, right? There, there's a curriculum and so forth, so forth. So they allowed me to teach it differently, um, but they didn't. But, but, but it was, it was, it was the, in the way where I use class as the opportunity to, to ask questions, right? Instead of just going over everything individually. And then what I would do is send videos of the same lecture. I would actually just film myself giving the same lecture, like if the students were there. Oh, wow. And they would go watch the lecture before class. And then uh -huh. during the class, they would come in with all their questions. So instead of, so, you know, you'd read cases and everything, but you just watch the lecture before. All right, here's the, here's the lecture before class. So then in class, our discussions were so much more involved and so much more so much deeper about different aspects because they already came in knowing their questions you know it it, it, it started becoming now instead of learning something new on the spot they were refining what they already knew I see. and then and then when it came to the obviously test it was you know boom 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 we're, we're good because now instead of again learning something instead of being able to interact with it once and hopefully getting everything yeah. You now had multiple times where you could interact with it. And again, and even at during, during finals, um, because we used to track our statistics on the channel, because the way we used to do it, and that, this was the first YouTube channel I put up. So what, yeah. we, so what, I, so what we did was um, we started then using the statistics from the YouTube channel to then understand how students were consuming our videos. Wow, so, smart. So, so for instance, we had, um, I had at one point something like 100 something students. So um, I would be able to see when students were after after I think about a year of of data, 
yeah. I started being able to see when students were using my video. So you can see like a line where students would watch the video right when it came out um, yeah. before the class, obviously. But then you saw at the end of the semester, a huge peak because people are going back and rewatching the videos. Then I was able to, then we were able to see like, okay, when we first put the videos out at the beginning during the semester, it was something like um, 90% of the time they were watching it on smartphones and mobile devices. Wow. But then when you get to the end, they're watching it on laptop computers. So that it was a switch. So we started now dividing our content for mobile devices when it was early in the semester. And then for later in the semester, when you're talking about exam reviews, we put them so people can consume them on laptops, right? It, it wow. makes it easier because so, yeah. so those were some of the things that we were able to do just over that period of time, just using YouTube. And so then when I said, you know, I was like, well, shit, if I'm doing this for them, I can do it for myself, right? <laughs> because yeah, all my idea. Yeah, so yeah. And that, that's kind of how, how I just have to started to start this YouTube channel. Tell everybody about your current content uh, on Nate the Lawyer, the YouTube channel, how you like to begin it. Do you like to do kind of a monologue a lecture first or do you like to have questions right up front? How do you like to structure your content? If you see my, it, it all depends because right now I'm still trying to niche down, as they say, because, you yeah. know, right now my, my YouTube channel is like a lawyer's channel. So I, I just I kind of talk about everything. Yes. But the content that people really want to hear from me is obviously about my police breakdown um, videos. Yes. And the way I do that content is very formulaic in the sense of first, I introduce to you the facts of the situation. Well, I'm sorry. First, I introduce you to you the law of the situation. What laws are generally apply when you talk to police use of force? Um, obviously, you're talking about um, Graham v. Connor. You're talking about um, Tennessee v. Gardner. You're talking about those kind of seminal cases. Now, obviously, yeah. I don't want to get really get into state law. Mm -hmm. But so, so, I'm, so I really like to keep it, you know, is, we're talking about these constitutional principles, use of force, for instance. Yes. Then we'll look at the local, um, the local police department's policies, because most of those, a lot of people don't know, a lot of your local PD policies are online. Yes. So you can look at them and see what their use of force policies. And what you'll notice is that the cases like Graham v. Connor and Tennessee v. Gardner are, are the, that, that um, Supreme Court precedent. Are, are actually memorialized in 90, uh, I'll say all yes. um, use of force policies for any particular jurisdiction. So you'll see that. You'll see them reference Graham v. Connor, or you'll see, see them reference the language of Graham v. Connor in yes. those. So then I, so I do that to show, as, as a journey, to show um, my audience that here is the Supreme Court case that was decided based on these facts and how that holding and how that has been, has went from policy, from, you know, all from um, um, from decision, yes, and turns into policy. Where now the cop on the street is responsible for doing something the Supreme Court said, you know, fifty years ago, Miranda, exactly. like Miranda and stuff. Yes. So taking, so I'd like to take them on that journey, and then when we get to the facts, say, okay, so here's the law, unbiased. Here are some examples of how the law has worked in these other situations. So generally, I use four examples, um, you know, two extreme one way, two extreme the other way. And then sometimes I'll try to get one that's in the middle, one that could have gone either way. Mm -hmm. And then and then at the end, I, I say now apply everything that you've seen, right? The examples, the law, the policy to this, to this set of facts, right? Because these mm -hmm. are the ones that apply to this set of facts. And then I'll let them make their own decision. How does it come out for you? And most, and, and they love the fact that it goes down that journey because not only do you learn the law, you learn how it's been applied before, and then you come to your own conclusion. And, and most of the time, it's funny to see most of the people on the left and the right yeah. actually agree with the conclusion when they, when they understand the process going forward. 
I absolutely agree. We, we did, you and I did a live stream uh, l- last week uh, together and we were analyzing some, some sexual harassment allegations against Governor Cuomo. Mm-hmm. And it is so fun to take people on this journey of, of legal analysis. And it doesn't have to be cumbersome. I mean, it can be kind of a, a, a fun pro. We can speak in general terms uh, and we can go through it. And what's so fun is that it pierces political divide. I mean, oftentimes, you know, boy, Governor Cuomo, you know, he's a bad guy because he does this or something. But then you go down and you, and you analyze the allegations with the applicable law and you come with maybe a different conclusion or mm-hmm. a more subtle conclusion. And it's like you said, it's like putting together a puzzle, but it's also like a surprise puzzle. Because sometimes when you begin this road, you're like, goodness gracious, these guys use excessive force. I hate them. They should go to jail, blah, 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 blah. And then you analyze, you look at police policies, you look at the Fourth Amendment case law and you're like, okay, well, technically... And so that's what's fun about it. And that's what I love about your show. For sure. Yeah, um, uh, no, I, I appreciate it. I, I, I'm trying to, th- these are ignorance that, that is going on. And, and, and one of the things that, that are now, that's now a, a little bit upsetting, but hopefully we can all get past it, is yeah. that people, we live in, the, and this is how social media affects this, obviously. Um, social media, is, it's, we want the answer right now, right? We see something, there's yeah. an answer. You know, this yes. person's guilty, this person's innocent. And now if you say, well, hold on, let's, evaluate this people are saying you know well you're, you're insensitive you're wrong you're you know and even maybe even racist you know they, yeah. they'll say you're racist yeah. and it's it's sad because none none of these incidents are easy right you're talking about sometimes people like for instance brianna taylor so you're talking about somebody who's yeah. lost their lives in a horrible way and obviously the police made mistakes but but it's it's not you know when, when the facts mm-hmm. are put out there that you know it was the wrong address and the person was sleeping. It, it it makes it it makes a situation that already is hard to assess even harder to assess because now you have to go back and, and tell people, well, these facts that you were told to make you come to this wrong conclusion were wrong. But yes. now take the right facts and you may come to the same conclusion. But now just do yeah. it based on the facts that are actually there, the things that we can actually agree upon, instead of these fe- this narrative that you've been that you're being fed to make you believe something that just happens not to be true in that instance. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I love it too, because what's nice about your show is you kind of fend off those people that are overly politicized because you, uh, it's funny, you show your work, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> a lot of shows, a lot of shows out there just say rah, rah, this rah, rah, that. But what's so great about your analysis, you do it in a fun way because you're a funny guy, but you show your work. And so you go, I don't, you don't say these words, but you're almost like, I dare you. I mean, tell me why I'm wrong. I, we, we just went through the law. We just went through the real facts you know, I dare you to come up with a different conclusion. And if you did absolutely okay with that too. And that's, what's so wonderful and and so comforting to see out there because a lot of social media these days is, is negative built upon insufficient facts built upon wrong facts and built upon a misunderstanding of the laws. Yeah. 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 It's, 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 it's sad because, but, but again, I I do understand we're trying to evolve too with this new way of communicating because this is a new way of communicating. Let's just be honest. And some, some of us do it better than others, but, but I think at the end of the day, if we can all understand, we all are seeking to believe the most true things, or, you know, believe the most true things and not believe the things that are false. And I think if we can all come to an agreement on the facts Mm -hmm. that are true, and, yes. and, 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 well, I'll say this. I said this in one of my, my videos. It's so interesting for me is that when you actually lay out the facts to people, 
99 times out of 10, they're going to come to the same conclusion based on the facts, based on those facts, right? But if you start adding names and descriptions of people and places to those facts, that's when you start seeing the divergence of of opinions. So that's what I try to do. I try to strip away all that other stuff. Let's take away race. Let's take away this. Let's take away this. And just look at the facts as they are naked. Yep. Then, it, then how was your conclusion? And then now we can start layering on these other in considerations. See, well, does this change your opinion on why this happened? Because you said if this wasn't, if this, if, if let's say race, if race wasn't involved, you would have come to the same conclusion anyway. So now yeah. adding race doesn't matter. Or yeah. if it does, but now you have to explain to me why you believe it does. Because sometimes that, that is, that's the true answer. Sometimes that can be the answer. But mm-hmm. you have to have a reason to come to that conclusion on why you're adding that as a factor you're considering. Just not, just not saying it's a factor because it is. You know what I mean? Absolutely. You know, I wanted to focus a little bit now on our discussion about the future of law enforcement in the age of social media. You have a unique perspective, one that I have never talked to a person like this before, where you have substantial experience in law enforcement and you have substantial experience in social media especially with the age of the, of the mobile phone and the ability to record whatever you're doing at any given moment and not even record, but also live stream. How mm-hmm. do you think that impacts the future of law enforcement officers and their ability to, to put the criminals in jail and the people who are not responsible, keep them out of jail? Oh, you know, it's, it's funny. And I, I'll tell you, when, we, when I first started um, in law enforcement, we were handwriting reports, right? <laughs> Literally, you yeah. handwrite, we're handwriting official police documents, right? And this yeah. is for court purposes and all that stuff. We're handwriting them and putting them in the file cabinet. Yeah. And now they, you know, they, they use smartphones. Now we're using yeah. smartphones for reports. Um, so law enforcement, but law enforcement has taken so long to move that needle to where we now have body cameras on every officer, right? We have an eye on every officer. Yes. I think it's 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 a good thing because the one thing I think most people don't realize about video is that if you're in a jury box and you see a video, I've just made you an eyewitness to what happened. You're an eyewitness, right? That's the most powerful thing. Now you're a witness. It's 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 that's how powerful. Instead of someone telling you what they've experienced, you can experience it for yourself. That's why video is so important. That's why video. And I think now in the age of social media, when people see the video. They, they think that they've seen the absolute truth, but not understanding that there's a story that also comes with that that may change their perspective on that. Yeah. So a, a lot of times, like we've been seeing now, people see a video and want to jump to a conclusion and not understand that we're not at that point now where everything was caught on video. Yes. You may have only caught one piece of it on video and yes. coming to the conclusion, yeah, we're not understanding that there's a whole story behind it. And so, so that's where I think it's, we're starting to move. I think law enforcement also, I remember when we did our first um, social media search, um, yeah. because before, again, you know, it, it, it was, it's weird being the, the age range I'm at, because I'm, I'm 42. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's weird. One of the most weirdest things is that when I started um, in law enforcement, we were using radio. We were, there was no difference from what we were doing in law enforcement in 19, I'm sorry, in, um, was it 2002? Well, mm-hmm. 2001, 2002. Was, we were doing nothing different then than we were doing in 1982, right? 20 years. So nothing yeah. has changed. Nothing has changed. Yeah. The way even we communicated were radios and writing down reports. From night, from in the next 30 years, in the next 30 years, we went from more or less stone and chisel to the internet age. 
Yeah. And our and and going and looking at people's social media accounts and understanding, you know, the difference between megabytes and terabytes. You know, we're like, yeah. you know, because yeah. you know, and law enforcement now, I think, had to adjust. Law enforcement to me, um, as great a tool as social media has become in sharing information, mm-hmm. I think now it's just be- it's become to the point where it's great for law enforcement to, to have those eyes there. But I think people just also, it's, 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 it's removed that filter of, is there more context to this? Because we automatically think we know the answer just because we've seen pieces of it on video. And also too, when there's no video, we always think the worst now. Like um, even a Breonna Taylor, obviously they should have had video, but yeah. when there's not a video, oh, well, the worst must have happened because there wasn't a video. Why didn't they yeah. have video? So, it, you know, it, it's, but it's, it's a good bar to have to say, you know, we, this is the type of evidence we want to convict somebody, but sometimes it's just unreasonable in certain situations. You know, when I'm on video, I always feel like I need to be in my best behavior. Like I, you know, okay, I got to smile if, the, if someone's taking a picture or something. And one of the things that was shocking about last year in the George Floyd incident was that it appeared that law enforcement either was emboldened or was oblivious uh, to the amount of media uh, recording their actions. Do you have any insight into that mindset where someone is, is, mm-hmm. um, is in a situation where using force, you can judge excessive or not, but using force and there are five, 10, 20 cameras on him and it doesn't appear to alter his disposition. Do you, do you know what that feels like or have any experience? To be honest with you, I, I, it, it, but but it's, it's, it's interesting. When we used to do, we used to do protests. We used to have these large scale protests that we used to have to protect. Um, And and NYU PD, um, sometimes we would, back them up, but then most of the time we'd have backfill with NYPD. And it was interesting, one of the more interesting in, in things that we used to see um, in the training was yeah. that we as officers would have people there filming for us. So but this is before, you know, you had the smartphones. We'd actually have people with, with camcorders filming the protest and our interactions with people. So we could have video to see what was happening, to, to see that, but that. To, to, so so um, we would always learn that mm-hmm. protesters would, vi- would, would protest, would video us and then try to make the video seem like we were doing something else. That's why they had, that's why we had to start having videos there. <laughs> um, videos. Yeah. yeah, so just, just so, uh, you know, hey, they showed this part of this guy kicking him, but here's the whole video of them, you know, throwing stuff and all that type of stuff. But with the George Floyd thing, I think that people are used to now because everybody has a camera in their pocket, you know? So I think if people are used that they're going to be filmed, Mm-hmm. But I don't think that officer, th- there's no way that I think these officers could have, I don't know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, you see what's happening. Yeah. You know, it's, I don't know, looking at the George Floyd thing, I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I, I just don't see how these officers mm-hmm. didn't, just, like something just didn't snap. Like, hold on, something, something is off here. You know what I'm saying? We just, you know, what... I, I'll tell you a personal, a personal experience. It was one time, right? <laughs> I, I, I've come down. I'm a supervisor, right? So I'm coming down. And I, you know, I hear all, all hell is breaking loose over the radio. Oh, come, you know, come over here. Come over here. You know, this, this guy's doing so. I run over this. Was, what the hell's going on? You know, oh, this guy, you know, he's not listening to me. He's not doing this. He's not doing this. I got, you know, five officers there. They got the guy, you know, all, you know he's old. You know, he's got, everybody's grabbing him. So I'm like, all right, stop. What's this yeah. guy just do? You know, what, what is the crime here? You know, what, is, what could this maniac have done that I got yeah. five officers making, you know, over $300,000 with this guy? The guy just happened to go into the wrong bathroom. He went, he went into, and not even the wrong gender bathroom. He just went into the, like, he went into a staff bathroom, 
versus a, a student bathroom or a, a general purpose bathroom. And somebody had said stop and now you got all these officers because whatever. It, 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 was, it made me think that it, at that point, it, it, it was like, okay, we have all this stuff has happened over this nothing thing. And with the George Floyd incident, incident they had this counterfeit bell. It was a nothing thing, right? Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, why are you rolling around and doing all this for such a petty, petty little offense, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And, and that sometimes, and I remember, because they used to drain that into us all the time, you know, don't take it too seriously. Don't yeah. take it too seriously. Yeah. You know, this this guy smoking cigarettes that you want to give a ticket to who's cursing you out, don't take it seriously. He's cursing the uniform out. He doesn't know who you are, you know? Sure. Sure. And I think in the George Floyd piece of it, I just don't understand how these officers, because it seemed like it was more personal than anything else. Like the knee, yeah. especially the knee on the neck piece of it. Yes. Um, the reason why that's even worse is because we train, you know, I'm a, I, well, just to be fair, I, I am a, I, I'm an, um, I am certified in, in handcuffing. Um, yeah. So, I, you know, I, I've trained law enforcement, I've trained cops to, to how to handcuff. Yes. And one of the things is, is handcuffing in the in what they call the prone position. So that means, so when you're trying to handcuff someone, if you put somebody hands behind their back and just put them face down on the floor, sometimes they, it's hard to breathe because your diaphragm can't move and so forth and so forth. So you, right. so you don't, so you want to be very careful and when you're arresting someone to not keep, not to leave them in a prone position. Sometimes things just happen when you have to handcuff them in a prone position, but you always yeah. want to move them so they don't fix, they, they don't suffocate them. You know, they, they yeah. can breathe. Yeah. Um, so, and every law enforcement agency trains you that. But one of the techniques is that when you put, when somebody is face down, how you can't put, put your knee on their neck or even close to, or even close to their diaphragm because you can, you know, again, they can have that same problem and you don't want to want to put your knee on their neck because you can kill them, right? And yes. it's funny because if you go to, if you search YouTube now, there are mm-hmm. videos on handcuffing and you'll see from trained officers, if you don't believe that I'm a trained, I was trained, look at <laughs> all these other trained officers from across the country, right? They all teach the yeah. same thing. Don't put your knee on the person's neck. Don't put your knee on the person's neck. Don't put your knee on the person's neck. So for him to do that, because I know this is universally trained, right? Yes. <laughs> so for him to do <laughs> that also makes you think, you know, what, what, what else could he been thinking? Now, is could this, you know, this, it's almost, it's hard to say it was an accident because yeah. you're specifically trained. That's something you don't do because yes. it's so accidental, you know? So that that's kind of the way, you know, I, it's trying to, it's, 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 it's almost trying to understand the madness. I, yeah. I just, I just, I can't make sense of it, especially yeah. with the experience that I have and, and understanding if they, if they're cops, they're wearing badges and, and they're being trained properly then something like that is obviously wrong based on, you know, all the training that I've, I've taken. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's, I think that's the best analysis I've heard. Um, I, I, it's, it's great to hear that you understand the, the principles at bay when someone is being arrested there and basically have said, listen, even if there are cameras on this person, there's, it's still, it's ununderstandable. Um, speaking about cameras, just to kind of finish up with the podcast today, do you think then having mobile cameras kind of keeping law enforcement honest is, is going to help law enforcement in the future? Or do you think it's a bad thing? Oh, I, I think we're going to get to the point where we're going to have cameras everywhere. Okay. I, I honestly think we're going to get to that point because at, at this, at, at, it, it's, it's, it's just going to happen. And I'll tell you now, if you're an investigator out there, you know the best way, you're always looking for video, right? Yes. If something happens on the street, 
You're going right to those stores. Hey, listen, did anybody get a video? I'm looking for a guy at the, about this time, this day, right? Because you, you can literally almost, and, and this may scare most people, but yeah. today you could honestly get a video trail of almost anybody, right? For a certain amount of time, for a certain amount of time, right? You can see them walk down the street. You'll see this outdoor camera. You'll see this outdoor yes. camera. You'll look and you'll see the guy went down the street. The guy went on, took this trend. You could, you could, it's almost there. Yeah. So I think, I think law enforcement is going to get to the point where you're going to have, you know, eventually people are going to say, let's just put cameras on every, every street corner. When, yeah. when you got, when you got, a, you got a light there. Why not put a camera there? It, you know, it's, it's, it's almost the, it's funny because you can go to some places here in the city, you can see these cameras already up. You know, it's just yeah. nobody's just turns them on. Police already have a lot of cameras up in New York City watching everything now. Yeah. So I, I think what, what it'll do is I think street crimes will, will be different now, especially now if people can witness what's going on. I yes. think what, what you'll do is you'll, you'll start maybe moving, people start moving inside or, or crime will start migrating to places that, that don't have surveillance. Yes. But the, the advent of, I think surveillance has made the prosecutor's job a lot easier. Yes. Um, because you you just you just have you know it, there's nothing you know, nothing better than having video evidence. Yeah. I also think yeah. at the end of the day for for the officer, mm-hmm. I think um the the you know video isn't always good in every situation. Um, yeah. I think sometimes you're going to have privacy concerns about you know ch- let's see children, let's say people who are innocent. Right, go caught on yeah. camera, and you know, with these police, with with um, or you go into a situation where something may not be, you know, like um, domestic violence or something like that, where you don't want to have the person, you know, where video where people may not be wanting to to be as open and honest because they know they're on video. You know, I got to yeah. record this. You know, yes. I don't want to, I don't want to talk. So it's not all, ro- you know, roses. But I think law, I think the future of law enforcement is going to go that, and I think most law enforcement agencies now are going to go a, a lot heavier um, maybe in the, to, to um, the cyber community yes. in terms of, you know, like a lot of times for our mass protests and things of nature, we had to go onto those chat forums. What are people talking about? What are they doing? You know, why are these things happening? You know, mm-hmm. you know, it's, you know, are they, is anybody speaking about the protests they got coming up the next, you know, in two weeks and we'll see like, you know, and, and you can, and it's, it's so, it's so wild to see people talk about what they're going to do to your buildings. What are they going to do when they come here and here? And then you just prepare, you know, you can prepare for that, but do you prepare for your, for things? So the, it's the, the way law enforcement, I think acts and operates is going, it's going to change dramatically. I think mm-hmm. in the next 10 to 15 years, but I think when it, when it comes to technology, I think that the better technology gets, the more protected will be against police violence and, and against violence from everything else. But I, but I think people's idea of, privacy when they're walking down the street and not being on camera, I think that's going to be eviscerated because it just, it, and, and again, I, I understand there's going to be a lot of people out there like, Oh no, Nate is just, you know, he's, he's, he's calling for mass, but it just, I'm telling you, if you go to times square now, yeah, there, there's cameras on every corner, right? Yes. It only on, and the re- reason why is because they're looking for the terrorists down there. But yeah. if you take it, that's a, and that's a 10 block area, right? There's cameras every single corner. I pl- I'm assuming there's places in LA where there's cameras on every single corner, right? If you go to the center of LA or one of those, pro- yeah. there's cameras everywhere, right? There's cameras on every corner. They, if, just imagine somebody's going to have the idea. It's cheap enough just to turn cameras everywhere. And now we have a better issue with crime. Instead of having cops walking every street, yeah. I can have two, instead of having a one cop walking every street, I can have one cop watching every street with that, and then sending people where crime is happening. You know, it, it, mm-hmm. it, 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 it's just going to be easier. It's going to be cheaper. And I think that's just going to be the way of the future. Wow. 
Wow. Well, that those are great <laughs> predictions. I'm hoping that crime goes down as a result. Uh, I'm sure we have a lot more to talk about in the, in the future. I'd love to talk about more future uh, law enforcement issues coming up. I was thinking about drones and things like that. But today oh, yeah. we have run out of time. Nate Brody, Nate the Lawyer YouTube channel. Thank you so much for joining us today. Where can the people find you if they want to find you on social media? Um, I'm right now. I'm just really focused in on YouTube. YouTube, just in the search bar, Nate the Lawyer, and you'll see all of my stuff. It's you know, I, I have law enforcement. I have some law school stuff. I'm going to be doing more more evergreen stuff. So if you really want, want to learn about law school and things of that nature, yeah. I'm going to be putting out a couple of videos about that. So please, you know, stop by. It's Nate the Lawyer and Nate the Lawyer also on Twitter. If you want to see me yell and scream at people. <laughs> and you mentioned, I just want to say you were working on, I guess you were working on some really long research projects for videos coming up. Do you have any, can you just tease those coming up? Oh, but, but yeah, well, I'm, I'm doing my, my next series is going to be called black in America. Um, well, it's, uh, that's, that's just the working title, but sure. what it's going to do is going to go through a history of how, um, from, from the civil war up till today, we're going to go through the Jim Crow laws. And like, for instance, in the South, wow. how it was actually illegal for black people to be out in some towns during noon, you know, wow. and how, and just the experience of the criminalization of both the black, the black man, how the corrective measures we, we've taken so far, you know, and then going on in the future, how we still have an issue, but some reasonable responses to that and, and maybe some things that'll help us all get past it. Because I think it's wrong to say mm -hmm. that we're living in the same era for black people as we were in the 50s or the 60s or even the 20s, you know? I, I, you know, it's better and we want it to be the best. And yes. these are just some, some, some solutions so, people, so we can all be on the same page. Because I think a lot of people, they feel that they understand what the experiences of, of African-Americans in law enforcement has been, but mm -hmm. I don't think they know. But then mm -hmm. I also think on the other side, they don't know how far we've come in changing a lot of that yes. because, you know, but, you know, but, or they just ignore it. So I'm thinking if you could, if people can, are confronted with the past and the progress, then we can come up with better solutions together. So, so that's my next big project, my big research project. And the last one was obviously American territories. But, you know, yeah. if you guys like that type of stuff, that's, my, <laughs> that's the one I'm going for. So hopefully you guys will like it. Well, I'm sure we will. We'll be tuning in. Thank you so much for doing it, putting all that hard work into it. And also, thank you so much for coming on the Ian Corsine show today. We really, really had a good conversation and I'm really thankful. No, thanks for having me. And hey, we, you know, you, you got to invite me back and... You got to come over my show, man. So, you know, Absolutely. we can, we can, we can, we can have some fun, you know? I would be happy to have some fun. I would love to go through that legal analysis with you. <laughs> oh, that'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. All right. Thanks again. I hope you got some value out of today's talk with Nate Brody, Nate the Lawyer. By the way, as a reminder, go to iancorzine.com to get all the answers you need to your social media law questions. And please remember to subscribe to The Ian Corzine Show. If you could rate and review the podcast on Apple Music, iTunes, that would be great. Help us skyrocket up the charts. All right, that's enough for today. I'm Ian Corzine, your social media lawyer, and I'll see you all next week.